0: Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up-to-date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. Today, I'll be speaking with Deb Dana, licensed clinical social worker, who is a clinician, consultant, and author specializing in complex trauma. Her work is focused on using the lens of polyvagal theory to understand and resolve the impact of trauma and creating ways of working that honor the role of the autonomic nervous system. She's a founding member of the Polyvagal Institute, consultant to Chiron Clinics, and advisor to Unite. Deb is developer of the signature Rhythm of Regulation Clinical Training Series, and is well known for translating polyvagal theory into a language and application that is both understandable and accessible for clinicians and curious people alike. Deb's clinical work published with W.W. Norton includes The Polyvagal Theory of Therapy, Engaging the Rhythm of Regulation, Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, 50 Client-Centered Practices, The Polyvagal Flip Chart, and The Polyvagal Card Deck. She partners with Sounds True to bring her polyvagal perspective to a general audience through the audio program, Befriending Your Nervous System, Looking Through the Lens of Polyvagal Theory, and her print book, Anchored. How to befriend your nervous system using polyvagal theory? Let's listen to the interview. Well, hi Deb, welcome. Thanks for joining us today.
1: It's nice to be here. Nice to meet you.
0: Yeah, nice to meet you. So I've heard a lot about the work that you've been doing. Um, a number of uh, clinicians in my practice have talked about polyvagal theory, and um, a lot of folks in the trauma community, particularly. So I got really interested in this work and have been wanting to learn more. And got to listen to to some of your talks. Um, so. I'd love to hear about about your work and polyvagal theory but but first before we even get there i always like to hear kind of how people got to doing what they're doing kind of the evolution of your thinking as as you kind of went along to to get where you are here
1: yeah it's it's and it's a lovely way to start sort of reflecting on how i ended up in this this moment in time i've been doing a lot of that recently because um i will be 70 this coming year and it seems like a time of of reflecting and and looking back and looking ahead so it's mm-hmm. it's interesting you know um Steve and I um I, I read his book mm-hmm. uh, when it when it came out and then we met in 2013 he came to um, Maine mm-hmm. to do a, a workshop for um, the group practice I was in and I had already started um playing around with polyvagal theory bringing it into clinical practice because the theory made so much sense to me i've always loved understanding the brain and the body as a i'm a social worker and i just think we should Mm -hmm. understand and help our clients understand and so i had already started playing with what do i do to bring this into into my work um, because Mm -hmm. it was so brilliant a theory and yet Um, a little complicated and okay but how do you make this work in in a session with the client so um he came and and you know we had a lovely time just uh you know sort of talking about his work and my work and how it fit together and that was that was a moment in time when my life changed I didn't know it at the time Mm -hmm. right um because you know I lived in Maine um at the time I still do live in Maine half time and Mm -hmm. you know I was sitting in my room over the garage Mm -hmm. creating this stuff you know and and from there to hear in this moment feels like a a life-changing journey that I've been on because now you know people really you know ask me to talk to them about polyvagal theory to translate you know you know I guess I've translated Steve's work into sort of clinical language and everyday Uh language and you know I talked with Steve the other day and I said I I cannot imagine what my life where my life would have gone without this And reading your book and having you come to Maine and and setting off on this this journey, you know, there was there was a moment in time when there was a, a, a workshop a presentation that he couldn't do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he asked me if I would fill in for him. And it was that moment when I thought, really? Steve Portis wants me to wow. fill in for him. And it was in Italy no less. So it was like, oh wow. wow. So and from that at that moment it was like, oh, I love this. I love doing this. So, you know, we have these 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 moments mm-hmm. and we don't know where they're gonna send us. Wow! And so I look back on you know it's been almost a decade now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like wow, who who would ever have known how I never could have predicted where I am now. And and oh. so yeah, it's I, I guess that's the that's my invitation for everybody is to oh. mm-hmm. to sort of you never know, you just never know, right? Sure,
0: sure. And, um, well, great. it sounds sure. like you're following your passion too, but really finding yes. helpful and and digging into it, and then kind of you know, things evolve from there. Yeah. That's- and yeah. is Steve uh, a, a, a psychologist, a therapist, a researcher, a A, he's a,
1: a research psychologist. He's All he's right. always been in in the lab. He's run labs. He's in academia. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I need I needed his theory to to make some sense of what I was seeing with my clients. Sure. Right? And then he said, and you know, and I depend on you to then translate it for the clinical world. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a lovely partnership, and I have to say. Yeah if you haven't listened to him talk um Mm. find find a way to do that he is he's a brilliant brilliant scientist and also a very down-to-earth humble kind human being which is a a really special combination
0: great oh wonderful perfect yeah so tell me about what is polyvagal theory
1: so polyvagal theory is a theory of how our autonomic nervous system is organized Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, I think about it in with three basic principles. And, you know, before we talk about those, I just want to say that the autonomic nervous system is at the heart of our daily experience, right? We think our brains are running the show, but in mm-hmm. fact, it's our nervous system that begins everything. And sure. so for therapists who are listening, no matter what model of therapy you've been trained in, you're in fact working with your client's nervous system
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? you may not un- you may not know that you may not bring that into explicit awareness but you're working with your client's nervous system and that's where i began thinking okay well, i should understand it and my clients should understand it because i think part of what we're doing as therapists is helping clients um, have skills and tools and understand um how to find their way to regulation and the nervous system again is the pathway there so Mm -hmm. you know the reason I guess for for understanding how your nervous system works I I like to to say we're helping our clients become active operators of their nervous systems yeah that's really what what this is about so we have three principles that guide polyvagal theory neuroception hierarchy and co-regulation and those are three words that that are not you know in the common vocabulary but i think at some point they probably will be right mm-hmm. because they are the, the the sort of vocabulary of your nervous system so mm-hmm. you want to you want to look at those one at a time is that yeah yeah and i'm
0: i'm i want to understand too with the so and then like you're saying about working with the nervous system like because emotions are you know, really connected and really kind of are the nervous system, right? That, you know, when we feel this various things in our body, we can kind of connect that to anxiety or feeling sad or, or so. And so that when we're working with emotions, we're, we're working with the nervous system.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's interesting because we, uh, emotions are, you know, we, we label, we Mm. give a label, right? The, the nervous system underneath that is having a response. Mm -hmm. and then um the brain puts a a label on it the brain's job is to make sense of what's going on in the body so the brain gives it a label right so a client might come in and 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 say you know I've had a really sad week Deb Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so they've put a label of sadness on it but it doesn't tell me what happened in the nervous system Mm -hmm. so we want to go underneath the label under the symptom yeah and see where did it come from. So that's really, I think when we think about you know working with the nervous system, we're looking underneath the yeah. symptoms our clients are bringing to us to to find where did they emerge from. Because mm-hmm. when I know where they emerged from, it directs the clinical choice I make about treatment,
0: yeah. yeah it's kind of like, um, you know, that the same physiological experience can be labeled as anxiety or excitement or, you know, those kind of pieces. And then, yeah you know, looking at kind of what what is maybe triggering those, the, that nervous system response that's kind of leading to them, the labeling in, in a particular emotion or, or so on.
1: Yeah. And for our trauma survivor clients, you know, the, their heart begins to race a bit mm-hmm. and their automon- autonomic, automatic pathway is towards anxiety, mm-hmm. right? because that's been um, a familiar pathway they've traveled so part of our job is to slow it down Mm -hmm. and say let's look at all the options for a heart that is speeding up you know getting ready to move passionate excited worried Mm. anxious there's a whole range Mm -hmm. of things that come come out of this Mm. and if we can anchor in a place of regulation we then have a chance to to make a choice yes right not simply be taken down a survival pathway which you know is is we need those survival pathways they were built for a reason it's just that when we you know have traveled them so easily and so often we we lose that aspect of choice Mm -hmm. right We, we end up in that pathway without even knowing how we got there
0: Well, helping the client move from being reactive to more responsive. I'm having like experience, how do I want to respond to that experience?
1: Right, and we can't be responsive unless we are anchored in some autonomic regulation. as soon Mm -hmm. as we end up in a survival state, we're reactive, not not reflective or responsive. So again, Mm -hmm. we come back to, can we help begin to regulate the state? And what the research is beginning to show us is that As clients begin to have a more regulated nervous system, their symptoms reduce or even resolve sometimes, Mm. both physical symptoms and psychological, because it's all one, you know, my body's all one. So, so it's interesting, no matter what your client brings to you as they're presenting problem, Mm -hmm. you really want to help them come into a place where they feel more regulated, more access to regulation in their nervous system, and then everything begins to look different.
0: Sure. No, oh, great. Okay, perfect. So let's start with going through those three.
1: So we'll start with neuroception, and neuroception is this beautiful word that Steve created to describe how the nervous system takes in information, and and then makes a choice about safe or unsafe. Hmm. Right. There wasn't a word because perception uses the cortex. Right. And, and the nervous system is, although it does connect with cortex and limbic, it's a brainstem originating system. So it's subcortical system. So right. he created the word neuroception, which I love. I think it's a great word. And everybody should have that word as part of their vocabulary, right? Use it on your Scrabble or, or you know, maybe you'll end up in Wordle someday. Who knows? Right. Sure. right. But um, neuroception uses three pathways to take in information there's an inside outside and between pathway so there's the embodied pathway where it's always listening it would be that pathway we were just talking about heart rate Mm -hmm. lungs digestion viscera it listens there to see is what's going on okay not okay safe unsafe Mm -hmm. and then an outside an environmental pathway so it listens into the world around us to get cues of welcome or warning And Mm -hmm. then the between pathway, which is the one that that I think is so important for us as clinicians between two nervous systems, Mm -hmm. it's always listening below the level of conscious awareness to get cues from another nervous system, is this safe or not safe? Do I Mm -hmm. approach or not approach? So that's neuroception. And what we know is that the cues of safety have to outweigh the cues of danger Mm
0: -hmm. in order
1: for us to feel safe enough to move forward. in in whatever way sure so in go ahead
0: i was gonna say so the embodied that's kind of like in our interoception kind of our experience of our physical sensation internally the environment what's going on the environment and between nervous systems do you mean between your nervous system and my nervous system kind of getting a sense of your energy or where you're at or if you're feeling on edge and and kind of my nervous system yeah uh attuning to yours
1: Yes, Got exactly it. and and that that between is so fascinating because you, know, you may have a certain um, way of moving mm-hmm. or you may have a certain tone of voice
2: mm-hmm.
1: or a certain look that is a familiar cue of danger from my past. Mm-hmm. And then we'll activate in the present and take me out of connection when it sure. really has nothing to do with you, it has to do with a, a cue from the past that's come alive in the present. Right. Right? right same is true for environment and 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 the embodied pathway but it's really interesting when we're working with clients and we kind of have this moment of something just happened, but I don't know what it was
2: mm-hmm.
1: neuroception has has neurocepted a cue of danger. Uh and has shifted that equation so Mm. that the cues of danger now outweigh the cues of safety
2: Uh and you
1: can feel it when that happens everything stops Mm. right and then if you're working you know through a nervous system level your your you know curiosity is wow what just came in and shifted the balance Mm -hmm. right what was it was it you know sometimes you know we're we look away we look at the clock or we look down
2: you
1: neuroception of danger to another nervous system
2: Mm -hmm. right
1: not intentional at all sure like, however it gets sent as a warning out there into the world and my client you know does this right you know yeah. they, they pull back they, they mm-hmm. disconnect right so it's it's interesting to track those
2: yeah. because
1: it gives us a way um to come back into connection and a way to understand what are the neuroceptive cues that really bring a sense of safety because mm-hmm. i want to i want to bring more of those into my work yeah. with that client Mm. So what are the cues that bring danger? Maybe, I, maybe we can reduce some of those, you
2: yeah. know? That's great. That's great. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, what we've discovered is neuroception, we might call them the passive cues because they're mm-hmm. just going on in the background all the time. Those passive cues have to be weighted towards safety
2: mm-hmm. in
1: order for us to use the active experiences that we want to bring to therapy. If the neuroception is one of unsafety, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are as a therapist; you you can't engage your client in therapy because their nervous system says this is not safe.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So they're they're kind of not able to access that, or not able to like you kind of need that safety first to be able to do exactly, that work.
1: exactly. Yeah, and you know we often make make you know stories up and, and label our clients right Non-compliant, mm-hmm. yeah. not trying hard enough. You know all these sorts of way, or or too needy, right? Sure. Even you know, and if we can look across and say, "Ooh, unsafe,"
2: uh-huh.
1: it it changes the equation because non-compliant. I don't know what to do with non-compliant, but or, unsafe. Or. I know what to do with unsafe.
2: Yeah, yeah, right?
1: yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's really what we're seeing. We're seeing a nervous system that doesn't feel enough neuroception of safety to be able not willing but able mm-hmm. to come into connection so that's the lovely part of polyvagal theory it's so non-judging non-shaming non-blaming it, yeah. it's not pathologizing it's simply the nervous system doing what it knows how to do Try to keep you safe
0: Sure. what's interesting it makes me think of motivational interviewing when i think about that or the idea of resistance that sometimes that's due to what the therapist is doing not necessarily something within the client and that sometimes the therapist gets ahead or the client's not feeling seen and then once we get back to that place where they feel like we understand, oftentimes there's that regulation and that big head nod like you're doing right now, yep. and yeah. then we can move forward again. But exactly.
2: Yeah. Framing that as
0: unsafe is, I think, a helpful way of thinking about it.
1: Yes, and and I, I often with my clients, I actually get out a piece of paper and we write down, what are the cues of safety, what are the cues of, un, of unsafety in this mm. moment, because we want to concretely identify them, bring, you know, therapy is about bringing the implicit into explicit awareness, right? Of course, of course. This is the same thing we're doing in the nervous system, all this implicit neuroceptive experience, mm-hmm. we're bringing into explicit awareness so that we can work with it. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about head nods and and head nodding. And turning and tilting is wired in to your biology to send a cue of safety to another nervous
0: system. Mm, interesting.
2: Yeah, we, yeah. 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 Another right. when I'm
0: supervising, or so I'm like, I'm looking for that big head nod. When I got exactly. that, then I know we can kind of move forward. I don't want exactly. that like, sure, you know, like kind of shrugging shoulders. Exactly. Like we want to really exactly. get that, like we're on the same page now we yeah. can together yeah.
1: so your brain is looking for certain cues for a reason your nervous system is also looking for those cues to to feel like oh yes we're in a connected co-regulating moment yeah yeah, yeah. oh great yeah. Cool. yeah so if we take neuroception and understand it then leads to hierarchy which is the next organizing mm-hmm. principle because as your neuroception makes a judgment about safe or unsafe, it then activates one of your states. And we can talk about three states. We've got a lot of blended states too, but if we just talk about three, ventral, which is regulated, connected, um, organized, safe enough, Mm -hmm. right? The the state that we long to be in, and I think our nervous system inherently knows how to get to, Uh right? um and so that's where we're helping our clients get that then we have two survival states the first one is sympathetic which most people know the fight and flight Mm -hmm. right and then the the other survival state is dorsal which is collapse shutdown disconnect Mm -hmm. right and that was Steve's brilliant work in in um illustrating um polyvagal theory he was working in um with premature babies in the NICU and it was the dorsal discovery really that that the vagus nerve which we had just thought was parasympathetic Mm -hmm. right we had sympathetic parasympathetic and with his work we now know parasympathetic has both ventral regulated connected and dorsal shut down collapse disconnect Mm -hmm. right And, and for our trauma survivor clients we see that all the time sure we see that that disconnect associate float mm-hmm. away fuzzy um experience that's their dorsal vagal system yeah, this is kind of a hypoarousal
0: arousal kind of dissociation like yeah. kind of yeah. the, the survival response of like playing dead kind of yeah you know, like.
1: yeah and in a in a in a you know a, a just a, a slight flavor of it it's that experience I think most of us have had of going through the motions but not really being present there doing it, mm-hmm. or going through the motions, but not having the energy to really care. Mm-hmm. Dorsal is a draining of energy, the body, you know, goes into conservation mode, we just don't have energy.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: psychology around it is some sort of, you know, hopelessness, giving up despair, can't, mm-hmm. right? Whereas sympathetic is that overwhelming, disorganized, chaotic energy, mm-hmm. that mobilizes us, right? Mm-hmm. So they're the, the opposite experiences both survival responses and what steve really outlined is this hierarchy which which is so helpful for us as as humans but especially us as as therapists because it means that you travel from ventral Mm -hmm. to sympathetic to dorsal in that order, and yeah. then in order to get back to to ventral, you have to leave dorsal, come through some energy of sympathetic, and arrive back in dorsal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know we can we can help clients understand that pathway down and back.
0: Well, really interesting. Yeah. Sometimes when working with clients, when they're when dissociation is coming up, um, you know, I sometimes will explore with them how is it protecting you. And oftentimes it's protecting from that sympathetic i'll be so overwhelmed or i'll be you know i'll have a panic attack or whatever it might be and so oftentimes kind of using some parts work to be able to look at can they handle that because oftentimes it's the emotional flashback that's kind of saying it's dangerous right now you can't handle this
1: and isn't that a brilliant way our nervous system c- c- protects us yeah right you know and and that's one of dorsal's jobs is to rescue us from sympathetic from that overwhelm that intensity mm-hmm. right and then sympathetic one of its jobs is to pull us out of dorsal because mm. dorsal is 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 probably the most challenging place to be uh-huh. right because we're untethered floating we, we sort of disappear in that place and so sympathetic tries to pull us back but it does it with that overwhelming
2: mm-hmm. energy
1: Right, so it's 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 an interesting loop we see many of our clients get in, right? Sympathetic dorsal, sympathetic dorsal, back and forth because sympathetic brings a bit of energy, but it feels too big, too scary, too much. Yeah. System goes right back to dorsal.
2: Yeah. And then it
1: peeks its head out again. It's too much and back again. So, Mm. yeah. So the 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 key to working with how to get clients to move back through sympathetic. To ventral is to not go through the the survival pathway of sympathetic Mm. but to go through the mobilizing pathway right we don't want to go to fight and flight but we want to use some of the mobilizing energy of sympathetic to bring energy back into the system and continue on up
0: to Mm. ventral Yeah. Mm yeah so that that kind of energy That more kind of motivates us or the gas in the car that gets us kind of going to to kind of address whatever the issue is or or the the helpful part
1: yeah yeah the 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 energy of of movement rather than the energy of survival because sympathetic does both right in in its in its everyday role it brings us energy to to do what we're doing right moving we're sitting up we're we're uh, sympathetic brings the energy to do that but it's under the the management of ventral
2: Mm. right
1: and so when ventral is overseeing your nervous system sympathetic brings you that energy and dorsal's everyday job is to run your digestion in a healthy way yeah so our states you know work together in this beautiful way it's only when ventral gets overwhelmed by the world and Mm -hmm. we enter into sympathetic as survival that we have this fight and flight and and you know that HPA axis hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis gets gets um, revved up then Mm -hmm. and we get flooded with cortisol and adrenaline Uh and that's what's so terrifying to our clients nervous systems is -hmm. that feeling of 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 danger that comes it's a yeah. neuroception of danger yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah. And, yeah and back to what you're saying with the dorsal and the uh digestion can you yeah. talk more about that? The, is that the kind of rest and digest
1: yep yeah. yeah dorsal's everyday role when ventral is again overseeing the system dorsal brings nutrients to nourish us it mm-hmm. runs our digestion in healthy ways and if we think about our clients so many of our clients have digestive issues right no yeah. And this is because their their um, system is out of regulation, mm-hmm. and as soon as as soon as ventral can no longer run the system, yeah. digestion gets impacted. When you're in sympathetic, digestion is impacted. When you're in dorsal, digestion is impacted, mm-hmm. right? And we have many clients who come to us with you know digestive problems. They want to work with. I'm not a, a a medical social worker and yet yeah. what i can tell my clients is as we find the way to more regulation that is going to change
2: yeah
1: right you know happy to work with medical providers yeah. and let's let's build a team that mm-hmm. is willing to to help us regulate your nervous system and see what happens
0: sure. right yeah Right. Wonderful. So there's the so so there's the the hierarchy there that mm-hmm. you're talking about the neuroception and then the hierarchy and then that goes into the regulation.
1: Co-regulation is the third organizing principle, and and co-regulation is a what we call a biological imperative, mm-hmm. meaning it's something we have to have in order to survive. Right? Mm-hmm. We come into the world and we do not survive without another human to to help us. Right. Well. And the interesting thing is that co-regulation is a lifelong need. Mm. And if if you think about that, we think about so many of our clients who come to us with the belief, you know, wired in nervous system belief, people are dangerous. And so when we begin to understand that, and you also have to find self safe people to come into connection with, in order to fully experience Mm -hmm. wellness, well-being, it's terrifying for many of our clients right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so co-regulation you know the ability to connect to safe others Mm -hmm. is essential for Mm -hmm. us as humans and in fact in the developmental trajectory is is you know we all learn somewhere in our in our training we we co-regulate first and from a foundation of safe co-regulation we then move off into the world and learn to self-regulate
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. For many of our clients, even for many of us, we we weren't met with a regulated nervous system. We didn't come into the world in an environment that was regulated and and safe. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so in order to survive, we had our basic needs met by another Mm -hmm. human. But Mm -hmm. we had to self-regulate for survival because there was no one safe predictably present to co-regulate with.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So it works. We did survive yeah but when we self-regulate for survival we don't feel nourished by it Mm -hmm. and you might think of clients who come to you who are highly successful and Mm -hmm. yet they're suffering yeah because there's no there's no satisfaction Mm -hmm. there's 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 this drivenness to seek 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 which is sympathetic but never can feel satisfied and and good about it which is
0: ventral yeah interesting yeah so so yeah the way I think about is you know when the the baby's little. The parent picks them up. They're crying. They soothe them. They're co-regulating and they're internalizing that that ability to to soothe. But yeah, and that's you know I also do emotionally focused couples therapy, and so that's one of the ideas, right? In adults that we're we still have those attachment systems and we're co-regulating, and when we don't have that responsiveness, we go into a panic. Um, and and so that idea. You know really resonates about that that we really need that co-regulation and and so in part you're saying that when we don't have that co-regulation growing up especially like in complex PTSD where there's prolonged states of of experiences of fight or flight that then the person is learning to regulate themselves, but it, it it they they have a hard time kind of getting to that sense of safety is not satisfying. There's like kind of yeah. say more about that. Why is that? Is that because they're waiting for the next thing to happen or they're feeling like they can't trust the environment or, all, all, you know,
1: all of that really, it's, the neuroception is one of unsafety. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the, they can't, they're unable, their, their wiring will not allow them to, to feel safe in co-regulating, right? Yeah. Because the nervous system learns, right it's a it's a system that learns from experience that's how it's shaped and Mm -hmm. that's why that's why therapy works too because it's reshaped right I mean that's the brilliance of this it's shaped every moment so as we are having this conversation our nervous systems are being shaped every moment it's being shaped by what's happening and you know you were talking about growing up you know in an unsafe world or even an unpredictable world where, where a parent is unpredictably present for whatever reason yeah right um and we 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 build a pathway a survival pathway you know and some of us build a pathway to sympathetic fight flight,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: others of us build a pathway that takes us further and disappear into dorsal mm-hmm. and you see this in your clients some are, tend more towards dorsal collapse and huh. others tend more towards sympathetic um bigness right anger mm-hmm. anxiety right and that's simply that the the nervous system learns like my nervous system learned growing up that dorsal was the safe place be invisible fly fly under the radar so you know even though you know i'm not as i don't go there as often now i've done a lot of work thank goodness but when push comes to shove my system takes me right down to dorsal right and for other people it's they stay much longer and sympathetic it's mm-hmm. sympathetic's a place where where you know being big and and getting attention or running away or yeah. you know, acting out was the way to be safe
0: mm-hmm. and again
1: there's no there's no right or wrong here there's just the way of each nervous system yeah. you know and so that gets shaped by our experience and by the people around us mm-hmm. and the you know the What I tell my clients all the time is, you know, we get to know how your nervous system was shaped and how is it being shaped now that's equally as important. And how might we shape it going forward? Because many of our clients are still living in situations that feel unsafe.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. So it's still being shaped that way.
0: And I'm wondering in that hierarchy that maybe growing up, the person had to spend a lot of time in dorsal because it wasn't safe. I'm wondering if later in life when maybe it is safer the person spends more time in the sympathetic because it's not necessary of me and they kind of like didn't get that ability to kind of be in that sympathetic place that like you're saying kind of in a hierarchical kind of framework is is actually somewhat necessary or somewhat like
1: well you know it's 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 interesting because some people will tell me they their home i call it a home away from home i say we all have a home in every human has a home and ventral waiting for us and i truly believe that and that's a lovely thing for clients to know it's it exists inside you we just have to uncover the pathways and help you get there yeah and we have a home away from home Mm. right which which means one of those two survival states where we tend to end up more often yeah right and people's home away from home can change
2: Mm. right
1: mine has predictably stayed in dorsal which is fine except I have noticed recently I have a lot more moments of sympathetic which is interesting to me Mm. right it's like oh I wonder what's going on now I had a client who came in um one week she you know really dorsal for for years and years and years Mm. and you know could function in the world right going through the motions she came in one week and she said Deb you're going to be so proud of me I said oh why she said because I screamed at my boss this week
2: Mm.
1: and i said yay you came up to to sympathetic yeah don't think we want to stay there but yeah, yay yeah. <laughs> for, for you know for coming up to that place and she had a boss who understood and, and was was fine with it but that was something to celebrate we need to remember that with our clients yeah. that mobilizing even though it's messy and mobilizing out of dorsal through sympathetic is often messy
2: uh-huh.
1: right? and yet it is a sign they are moving up towards sure. ventral regulation sure. If
0: you think about too, like clients that, you know, couldn't fight back as a child, but as an adult, you know, if somebody messes with them, they're ready to stand up for themselves or stand up for others or, or so on, because maybe they, again, they couldn't really, wasn't safe enough to, to be in that sympathetic place, although it's not as developed, I guess, the the ability to kind of, you were saying, kind of using it as active rather than reactive, maybe not having much time there or using that in a in a way that yeah we utilize for, for functionality
1: yeah, it's it's interesting because we can have a lot of sympathetic in our system and yet if we're anchored in ventral if the neuroception is one of safety we can use that energy so beautifully purpose passion mm-hmm. forthrightness stand up for what I believe in all of those things that take energy and and strength and power yeah. and as long as ventral is there I do not automatically become a cue of danger to the people around me mm-hmm. there's a there's a, a thought that they may be able to to stay in connection with me but if i'm in sympathetic fight
0: mm-hmm. i
1: automatically become a cue of danger to the people around me yeah. and they will then have their own response and if we think about the world today mm-hmm. we don't have enough people who have some ventral going on to be able to have these courageous conversations people just are in survival responses and we can't our our prefrontal cortex Mm
2: -hmm.
1: goes into hypoactive mode as soon as we go into either sympathetic or dorsal and so we don't have the benefit of our our thinking brain while Mm. we're trying to you know change the world in some way unless we're anchored in ventral
0: so so to, to understand this, I'm thinking like, so if somebody is in a difficult conversation, maybe with a partner or something like that, if they have enough ventral and feeling safe in that connection, they might be able to talk about something they're really angry about or really hurt about or scared yes. about with them or so on, because there's that kind of an EFT, like that secure attachment or that sense of safety versus if we don't feel safe, then that anger or so on may come out in more of a less vulnerable way and more, more yeah. of a, a kind of self-protective way. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Might, that might trigger the other person's kind of nervous system to react to protect themselves yeah. also.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do couples work and so you, you, you can see how two nervous systems can dysregulate so easily together yeah Um, yeah. they may go in opposite directions one sympathetic one dorsal or they may go in the same direction Mm -hmm. but you know what i like to to say when i'm teaching you know um therapist is there has to be at least one ventral regulated system in the room. And mm-hmm. as a therapist, it better be mine. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, because I need to be be helping this this experience, I need to help my clients find their way back to ventral so they can mm-hmm. continue the conversation. We, we We think about emergent properties of each state and the emergent properties of ventral are what you were just talking about, we can we can be vulnerable,
2: mm-hmm. we can be curious. Mm -hmm. we
1: can communicate difficult things we Mm -hmm. can have self-compassion and compassion these are all the things that are only available to us in in ventral and when we get pulled out of ventral into survival we no longer have access to those so it's not like the the person i'm work with working with um doesn't want to listen to their partner they are no longer able
2: sure Right. and
1: and that I think is is also really helpful for people to understand. You yeah. know, when when I'm looking at my partner who's doing this crazy thing and and somebody reminds me their nervous system has just taken them away and yeah. they cannot they're unable mm-hmm. to be with you it's like oh that makes a difference it's yeah. not that they want to do this it's that they're 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 now taken into a survival state that helps
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do a lot of work with um children and adolescents and families, too, with oppositional defiance. And and the way we oftentimes think about it is that it's this, you know, that your average kid, they get their hand caught in the cookie jar, they feel some anxiety, they learn at that moment. For a kid that's oppositional, they feel backed into a corner and sometimes can be like a pit bull with their jaw locked. And so that co-regulation piece, particularly on the parent's part, because like you're saying, right, if, if the parent is dysregulated, And kind of going at the kid they can either go to dorsal and just kind of submit or they can go into fight and kind of fight back and you know then they get into this kind of oppositional pattern um so that meeting somebody that can be kind of regulated uh, is so so important
1: yeah, and that is so hard when we're in those situations right with 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 kids with partners with friends anywhere to to hold on to our regulation in the face of somebody's you know big
0: dysregulation
1: dis- yeah. because again we feel it and it feels unsafe in our system and then i have to you know use my skills to say stay anchored because my brain is giving me some very different story
2: yeah right?
1: you know and with parents and kids we all, often get the you know they're 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 just doing this to to you know get to me mm-hmm. uh, or they you know they're they're you know all all the the brain stories mm-hmm. and again if we can look over and go oh so dysregulated yeah right the the guiding questions that that i always use are what does my nervous system need in this moment
2: mm-hmm. right how
1: do i find my way to ventral and anchor there and then i can look over at somebody else and go what does their nervous system need
2: yeah right? Right, yeah.
1: it's a very different way of looking at it, and mm-hmm. you know, it gives me a better chance of being able to stay regulated in the face of somebody who is just, you know, having a meltdown. Right,
0: right, sure, sure, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the the. You know, I've heard about the different exercises. I've seen like some little YouTube videos about kind of you know turning certain ways and so on. Can you say a little bit about that and how that kind of plays into this resetting or kind of you know shifting from different states?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. There's so many people who are <clears throat> um, finding ways to, to bring more ventral regulation which really is the goal for all of us is is, and and I would like to say the goal is not to be regulated all the time that's never Mm -hmm. a goal for any of us right right? our survival states are needed we all move you know down the hierarchy and back up many many times a day Mm -hmm. in in small ways like you might have dipped a toe in sympathetic or dorsal already today Mm -hmm. right in big ways sometimes when the world is just too challenging, mm-hmm. right? So so the goal is is to have a flexibility of response to know, oh, I am being pulled out. And how do I reach for regulation and get back? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are basic categories of ways to do that. Breath is one way mm-hmm. because breath is a nervous system um, experience. Your nervous system um, is what helps you breathe. Uh-huh. And, and so we can we can directly change our breath to help bring a different state alive to Mm -hmm. bring more regulation. I will say breath is um, both a a powerful regulator, but also a powerful activator. So we want to be very Mm -hmm. careful and experiment Mm -hmm. with people around just notice your breath. And let's be very gentle in what we do, because it can bring a huge response as we just change some simple aspect of breath movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Movement's another big category. You know, when you're in sympathetic, the movement is disorganized, chaotic. And you know, we don't want people to calm down. That that's never helpful, calm down. Right. But let's use this this energy, this movement, and organize it in some way. Mm-hmm. Because once it begins to become organized and purposeful, we move to ventral. You know, in dorsal, you know, to begin the movement back up the hierarchy, a very gentle movement, right, you know, just a gentle swaying back and forth, or even a, you know, moving your hands, it's just bringing some gentle energy back in. Mm-hmm. Right? And then when you're in ventral, what are the things you want to do? How do you want to move to stay there?
2: Right? Yeah,
1: Go for a walk, because we don't want to forget, when we're in ventral, we want to deepen that we want to enjoy. Right. that. Right. So, you know, so we've got movement, we've got breath, we've got um, um, nature, nature is mm-hmm. a brilliant way. Mm -hmm. to begin to, to um, feel more regulated,
2: yeah.
1: you know, art, music, um, I often have my, my clients um, create musical playlists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are the songs that, that really bring your sympathetic alive, and you can be with safely, Uh because music, the research says music has that paradoxical effect, you can be with intense Mm -hmm. emotions safely, and even enjoy them, right. Uh So, you know, what, what music brings your anger and anxiety alive, what music brings that place of, of hopelessness, you know, alive and you can be with, and you feel not alone mm-hmm. in those places. Which is the other thing, you know, when we think about co-regulation, when we are, are, are dysregulated, when we're in a survival state, we're, we're usually alone, mm-hmm. right? Our trauma survivors, their experience is alone. And so even me being anchored in ventral, and and being with my client as they remember that mm-hmm. moment or we travel together to a moment that is that is held in in a survival state you yeah. the, the experience changes because they're not alone mm-hmm. they're with a regulated other being
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that is there's a there's a real brilliance in that and and not a lot of um work that has to be done it's simply I have to stay regulated and we um, we can go be with and something Pretty magical happens then, right? Mm-hmm. Because the the autonomic experience—it's a missing experience, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that you're giving the nervous system a disconfirming experience, which is which is beautiful. Rather than from the brain down, you're going from the nervous system up, and and things change. But back to you know resources. What what I really invite people to do is is play around with you know all the ways that they feel a bit of regulation and then create a menu their own menu because yeah. your menu and mine might look very different mm-hmm. right and and so it really is about finding what are the ways that you anchor yeah in ventral or you find your way your way back to ventral mm. right and, and places help um, remembering places that brought you a moment so mm. the, the 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 imagery Mm -hmm. remembering a person who when you were around them you felt welcomed so so we can bring to life because if we've had that experience it's wired into our biology
0: Mm -hmm. it reminds me of an emdr when we do the resource installation of the safe place or a nurturing figure and helping the person connect with that kind of neurological experience of feeling right yeah yeah
1: yeah. And, and the thing that the thing that I love about, you know, I, I do some similar things, you know, I do savoring and sifting and anchoring. And the thing that I am always careful with my clients is to have it be something that they have actually experienced because mm-hmm. yep. right? I, I found sometimes with safe place when you bring in things that you you would like, but you haven't actually had it can get a little tricky but if you stick with what your nervous system already has experienced it's wired in there right Yeah, Yeah,
0: that that safe place in the emdr is often like thinking of a memory of a time when you felt safe
2: yeah
0: that oftentimes that can evoke that that kind of neurological memory of of absolutely an affective affective state Um, yeah and then uh turning up turning that up with the emdr um
2: O-
1: objects you know we have objects that that we each attach to in certain ways mm-hmm. you know and if you have an object that that reminds you of ventral and brings it alive as you look at it or hold it you know again i i love the beach it's my place yeah. and so i collect beach stones and i have them all over the place and some days it just feels like it's going to be a challenging day and i'll put a beach stone in my pocket something as easy as that it's because it reminds me oh yes ventral is possible yeah that's that's all we're trying to bring in ventral it exists and it's possible Mm -hmm. right it may be a, a a long reach for me today but it's possible and I have this thing that reminds me of it
0: yeah yeah and and I'm it makes me think about um too with like emotional flashbacks you know, because when the person has been triggered and they're they're feeling some of those unprocessed uh, emotions, sensations, or so on, and sometimes even though all the work they've done and all the cognitive and and so on, that when when that flip and switch is flipped, they have a hard time being able to even recognize yeah. that that there is this triggering of this emotional flashback, and that they're safe in the present or whatever it might be, and all the other stuff kind of goes out the window. Yeah. Um, thoughts on that about kind of i know part like you're saying you're trying to help the client bring awareness to the cues and also bring awareness to what their experience is that they're in this state
1: what, yeah you know it's it's fascinating because us? when when the when you when you're pulled into a survival state like that um hopefully someone around you is able to then help you come back to regulation and mm-hmm. then you can reflect on what happened because when you're in it it's really hard to do anything yeah with yeah it,
2: right exactly. but
1: i can reflect on it right and I, I have a discernment question that i that i you know have people write on cards and put somewhere where they can find it easily because again we don't we don't find things we don't locate things yeah, when we are yeah. dysregulated mm-hmm. so you know and the discernment question is you know in this moment in this place with this person or these people is this response or is this intensity of response needed mm-hmm. right and we often have to do that on reflection because mm-hmm. we can't do it in the moment if I'm slightly activated I can do it in the moment mm-hmm. but when I'm in a, a flashback experience is no way but yeah. I can then return to it afterwards and sort of think about that with somebody else mm-hmm. right and then if the if the answer that you know I usually get for myself is oh probably not needed yeah. right Then you can say, is that a familiar response? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And let's begin to think, when did your nervous system learn that Mm -hmm. this was the way to keep you safe? And so we can begin to get the information about what happened. Because those flashback experiences live in sympathetic and dorsal. Mm -hmm. Our survival stories live in dysregulated states. They don't live in ventral. But when we're anchored in ventral, we can revisit them we can listen to them we can be informed by them because again ventral brings enough safety so that i can re-enter a moment
0: Mm -hmm. safely
1: and and begin to to experience it differently
0: like that dual awareness i'm safe here now but i'm i'm looking at this memory where it felt unsafe and what you're talking about too also makes me think a little bit about like some of my clients to talk about you know like when we're feeling so bad Sometimes thinking, you know, I probably don't have to be feeling this bad right now, unless, you know, it's like it was a car accident or something, you know, and, and kind of using some of that cognitive therapy to look at, is there a way that I'm thinking about this or, you know, and, and doesn't mean emotional avoidance, but sitting with that emotion, that kind of, you know, using like acceptance commitment therapy and just kind of being with that experience, but, but also kind of noticing, yeah, that I probably, this is probably not as extreme as I'm feeling in this moment. There might be a different way that I could be experiencing
2: yeah
1: yeah when i do a, a a simple practice i call it notice name turn toward tune in mm. so you notice oh my gosh that, you know if this feels a little little not not helpful or not needed yeah name the state oh i have a lot of sympathetic activation turn toward it right mm. rather than running away turn toward and listen for just a moment what mm. is the nervous system what is that state trying to do in this moment what does it need what's you to know
2: what's it right? F- tell you
1: yeah yeah Yeah. because it's always it's always acting in service of our safety and survival Uh you know it can look irrational it can look crazy but on a nervous system level because the nervous system doesn't assign motivation or or meaning make moral meaning it's simply enacting a response so if I can tune in and my nervous like the other day you know I I was having a really challenging day Mm -hmm. right and and I went to that sympathetic place and, and I said oh for goodness sakes okay what is it you need me to know because this is crazy and I got the message message really clearly if you don't get out of the house on a regular basis Uh you're going to go crazy
2: Mm -hmm. I thought
1: oh well that's good to know I'm a I'm a caregiver for my husband so there's all that going on right but it was a clear message which Mm -hmm. you would think I could get from a ventral place of of rational thinking no no my sympathetic had to really get big and loud to, to have me pay attention and give me this message and I was like oh okay thank yeah. you
2: yeah now
1: yeah. I can I can do something with that right? right but it's but it's the turning toward and listening yeah that, that we can be so afraid to do it's so hard to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. well especially right. too if you've been dysregulated so dysregulated in the past yeah it makes me think of kind of drawn of kind of holding that emotion in your hand and seeing what it has to tell you right. and being curious with it and, and right. taking that opportunity rather than just trying to get rid of it or cut it out or push it away right. um well, there's there's so much wonderful stuff here. I, I could keep on going for forever, but I actually we're, we're nearing the end of our time. Um, I really appreciate your time, and this this is really helpful to to kind of wrap my head around polyvagal because it's it's a complex theory, but I think you've broken it down so nicely to to kind of help it be really tangible and, and usable. So thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, the time today.
1: I've had a great, it's been a lovely conversation, hasn't it? A a lovely back and forth.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Perfect. Well, great. Thank you so much and uh, have a great day. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for joining us. If you're wanting to use this podcast to earn continuing education credits, please go to our website at therapyonthecuttingedge.com. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, providing in-person and remote therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area. IAP provides training for licensed clinicians through our in-person and online programs, as well as our treatment for children, adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults. For more information, go to sfiap.com or call 415-617-5932. Also, we really appreciate feedback, and if you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of therapy and think clinicians should know about it, send us an email or call us. We're always looking for the advancements in the field of psychotherapy to help in creating lasting changes for our clients.